The principles in the soulful art of persuasion are more about character-based than being successful in any company or whatever you're doing, whatever you're, you're trying to accomplish in life. And so the first one is, is um, original. And so original uh, is really, you know, all about being yourself. Really understanding how you draw inspiration and who you are as a person is the bedrock of having character and real influence, says my guest Jason Harris on this episode of Renee Vidal sharing stories of peak performance. Jason serves as CEO of Mechanism, a San Francisco-based creative agency where he plays a major role in helping Mechanism produce campaigns for HBO, The North Face, Ben & Jerry's, Alaska Airlines, Jim Beam, and the United Nations. In our conversation, Jason talks about his best-selling book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion and the 11 Habits that Will Make Anyone a Master Influencer. For actionable tips on this episode, check out ReneeVidal.com. Are you ready? Let's go. Jason Harris, it's so good to see you. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, hell yeah, let's do this. <laughs> so um, what I love about your book, and, and I think more so about you, um, as a human being is your emphasis on character. And I thought it'd be a great place to start if we can go back to what your mindset was as a child and maybe kind of share your journey up into where you are now as CEO of Mechanism. Okay. My, as a child, um, you know, I, I grew up in the suburbs of DC in, in Northern Virginia and uh i just um you know it took it kind of took me a while to find find who i was and what i liked and what i was into i was sort of always not slightly like an anxious kid and and um oh, never really you know i didn't like come out of the womb like super confident and knowing like <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to take on life. And I mean, that's normal as you're growing up, but um, I was, you know, the way I was raised was, you know, everything has a cause and effect, but I was raised where my parents were both uh, teachers and intellectuals and in academia. And they, you know, were ferocious readers and, you know, when they had kids and it could be a generational thing, it was much more about they were living their life and we were, you know, my sister and, and me were along for the ride. And the way I, you know, the way I'm raising my boys now, I think maybe cause and effect or times have changed, but I'm always looking for what their passions are, you know, having them experiment and try new things to figure out, you know, what is going to light them up because we all need those like hobbies and passions that we carry on through life. <clears throat> and I wasn't really raised, I was raised a little bit different than that. Um, but I think the, the thing that I, I have carried on with me that I think my parents did a awesome job at that I've carried on with my, my kids is a foundational belief. Cause you talked about character, but a foundational belief that uh, everyone on the planet you treat everyone exactly the same and everyone is on the same earth and the same field. 
and you treat the the janitor and the CEO exactly the same at 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 a company, or you you know you treat the you know your classmate or your coworker, you know exactly the same, and and I think um, that that's been like a foundational principle that I I was modeled behavior from my parents that they always treated everyone with like the exact same respect, no matter who they were. And that that's been a real, you know, uh, teaching that I pass on to my kids. And that I think is a one key building block for the type of people I want in my life and, you know, how I want to behave. And it's like a foundational uh, learning for me. What subjects did your parents teach? My mom taught English as a second language, and my dad was a sociology professor. Cool. Yeah, so they were they were really, uh, you know, into uh, how people work and cultures work. And my mom was always into being philanthropic and helping, you know, pe- sort of people that have uh, less of a leg up try to, you know, get there. Did you have a marketing mind as you were growing up? Uh, no, but I always, I always responded to, I was always a very visual person and a visual learner. And um, as I was sort of trying to find my place, uh, and I'm sure you've heard the story because I've told it a million times, but, and it's in the book, but um I became uh, like obsessed with Kiss as a kid, and uh, I joined the Kiss Army, and I was really into the characters from the band and the mythology that they had. I was into comic books as a kid. I was really into like good versus evil and superheroes, and um, that 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 sort of that combination of like branding and what you know, people's superpowers are and what they stand for, uh, coupled with the visual uh, of of this band, that was my first foray into like marketing and branding because they marketed their band in a really unique way. And they made all kinds of merchandise. They created like the world's first influencer network with the Kiss Army, which was analog. They'd write you letters. And that was subconsciously what I was drawn to. And kind of got me in at an early age like 12 or 13 into marketing and 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 sort of like storytelling can you tell us a little bit about how mechanism began just the story behind your company so i was always um i was always always wanted to be an entrepreneur since i was you know out of college and i always wanted to go into advertising that was kind of a career path that i I kind of knew that I wanted to get into. Um, and so I, I worked at a design shop. I worked at, you know, well-known agencies. And I always kept a journal when I was in my 20s. And I'd write down um, things that I learned from managers or people that I worked for or people that ran the agency, what the culture was like you know, things I hated, things I loved. And I sort of kept that with me. And I knew at some point I would start my own business. And I actually started a a production company before Mechanism that I did on my own. And then 
mechanism kind of came to be with three other friends. One of them uh, was a, a director. One of them was into technology and uh, had come from Macromedia at the time. Another one was a designer. And then I had this agency background. And so we sort of came together and, and launched this company, which was about 17 years ago now. So how did you guys meet? We had, um, we, had, we, you know, we were in San Francisco, we were all sort of in the business and, um, one of my partners I had met, uh, through mutual friends and we kind of hit it off. And then I, through him, I met the, our, our other two partners and, uh, we just kind of, uh, plotted that we're going to do this thing together. And then we just made it happen. And I was probably when we started it, let's see, I was probably, you know, my early thirties, um, when we started it. What do you guys do for clients specifically? So we do, uh, we're really known as a strategic and creative brand building agency. So we'll work with brands, all kinds of brands, but really like well-known consumer brands. And we'll work with them over one to three years and figure out what their brand purpose is, what their brand is going to stand for, create their strategy, their brand DNA. And then, you know, everything from creating the ads that you see out on social media or television or streaming or wherever you might see ads, uh, we'll produce those ads. And um, we, we have a process in, the, in w the way we do it, but we're really in the business of building great brands. So we work with, you know, Peloton, Alaska Airlines, Charles Schwab, Jose Cuervo. We have about 25, 26 brands we work with now. Um, and, you know, it's a really dynamic business. It's fun. Uh, but you, you're always, you're always gaining and losing accounts. So you're always kind of pitching business like nonstop. One of the things that's really cool about you, Jason, is that you're a practitioner who has written a book, not just an author who's writ written a right. book. I mean, you're in the trenches every single day getting things done, you know, for clients and for your team members at Mechanism. Can you um, just share a little bit with us your drive and the purpose behind the book? Sure. Yeah. So um, I, you know, built a, a fairly successful agency. Uh, I felt like advertising has a bit of a bad uh, rap, you know, like the business itself. And I feel like, you know, I talked about like keeping that journal. And when we launched the company, we had a, we had seven values that we launched the company with. And we had a re we have a really, really strong culture. And those values haven't changed. Uh, it guides the company and it's how we hire people. It's uh, the way we work. Uh, we talk about the values. Everyone gets on in their onboarding packet. They get like a book of the values. We talk about the values at every company meeting. And that really creates the culture. Like, you, you know, you, the cult, there's a je ne sais quoi, of course, which is, you know, literally stands for I don't know what, which is when <laughs> you when you bring a group of of um, people together to, to do work. But 
you also can guide that that culture and that je ne sais quoi with values. And I think it's always important to write those values down and state those values over and over again and and kind of grade people against the values. And so we really started with uh, a, a value system. And in the book, these are my personal values. I mean, I have, you know, the symbols tattooed on my arm that are in the book. Uh, and those four principles, I believe in both from a business standpoint and a personal standpoint. And it's ha- helped me guide uh, my 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 life. And I wanted to share those with other people because I think it's important whether these are the exact values that people follow or not. But I think everyone needs uh, a life code. And I think every business needs uh, business values. And I think it's important to reflect those, state those, repeat those, measure yourself by those, and, and always go back to them. So the genesis of the book was part entrepreneurial, part, you know, uh, when I wrote, I was in my you know late forties. Reflecting back, uh, I could I thought I could you know either influence people that were maybe in a in a career pivot or people starting out in their career. Um, but uh, that was really it was really to help people and 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 kind of be a little bit of a guide. Could you share with us your seven core values at Mechanism and then? maybe pivot over to the fundamentals, your methodology that you share in the book? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, uh, our values are um, optimistic. And what we mean by optimistic is uh, always trying to find a path forward, um, even even in hard times. But, you know, we want to hire optimistic people. Um, fearless is another value which is we want people to come up with big ideas and bold ideas and not timid ideas. Realistic is another value, which is um, you can't present just fearless and realistic kind of go together. You can't just present big (laughs) ideas because they're fun or you want to win an award or you think it's, it's a neat idea. It has to be realistic because it has to, we're in the business of, of building brands and, driving businesses forward. So the, those ideas have to be connected, fearless ideas that are realistic. And then um, weird is another really important value. And what we mean by weird, which in the book I talk about is original, that's really about being your full self, bringing your full self to the office, not having your work persona and your business persona. But we want everyone in their in their full you know, idiosyncrasies and weirdness to be present at the office. So that that's another value um, is weird. Um, collaborative is another one, which is working really closely with the people at the company and being a collaborative individual and then working very closely with the clients we work on to collaborate. And, and we think collaboration breeds the best work. And then inclusive, which is uh, making everyone feel comfortable and safe. It's also got a DEI bent. But then also in the work we put out into the world, we want the work for our brands to feel inclusive. And that's really important um, to us. And then um, 
what's the final one? Collaborative. Oh, independent spirit, which is really, uh, we want everyone to have an entrepreneurial mind and treat mechanism or client's business as if they're starting the business themselves. And, you know, if they're working with, um, say, you know, I don't know, Weber, Weber Grills, they, we want them to think about that brand as if, almost as if they they are part of that brand, they own a piece of that brand, the, the decisions they make should be through that lens. So those are really the, the core values. Um, yeah. You're a coach's dream because the level of specificity, you know, that you just articulated around your values, it's not just optimism. I mean, we hear optimism every single day, but you specifically and clearly define what that looks like for your organization and how aligning behaviors with that value, how that creates great results for your clients, right? Yeah. Bring, bring it out, bring all of this good stuff out to the world. Um, what are the four, I think you have four pillars in the yeah, book. You know, you know, I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'll talk about those. And so those are, you know, the, the business ones are how we operate the company. And um, the, some of those certainly could apply in, in your personal life, but um, kind of more broadly, because that's very specific to our industry and our business and the way we need to work. But the principles in the soulful art of persuasion are more about character-based and being successful in any company or whatever you're doing, whatever you're, you're trying to accomplish in life. And so the first one is, is um, original. And so original uh, is really, you know, all about being yourself and the Oscar Wilde quote, every, you know, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Don't be afraid. And, and, you know, you talked about me as a kid, I had to really, you got to figure out who you are before you can be that. But taking the time to look within and know what you're like, what you're, what, what, who your role models are, um, stories that you love, art that you connect with and why, and really understanding how you draw inspiration and who you are as a person is, is the sort of, it's like the bedrock of the rest of it. But you'd be surprised or maybe not surprised how many people have a difficult time being themselves or even knowing who they are or what they want or what their dreams are or who they respond to or why they like certain things. So that takes a lot of, you know, personal work uh, to, to be original, but leaning into that and don't being, a, don't be afraid of it, <clears throat> but don't try to blend in, try to stand out, try to really um, wave your freak flag, show your uniqueness but being original was was the first principle. And then the second one <clears throat> is really about being generous and trying to practice positivity, cultivating a sense of gratitude, generous with when you cross paths with someone, you know, trying to make other people better off than when they didn't interact with you. Uh, but it, being generous starts with being being grateful, being positive, and then trying to give something to other people. 
um, and and showing respect. It's that even playing field that I talked about uh, before that you kind of pulled out of me from when I was growing up. But that could be giving away, you know, connections, your time, advice, could be gifts, uh, but but really trying to put out into the world and in your circle and with your work connections, um, a generous spirit. And I think that that's something for me that I had to come to and learn because I wasn't by nature a generous person. When I first started the business, <laughs> I would I would like hoard my my contacts and my you know brands, and I didn't really live by the philosophy you know, that um, everyone can benefit or it's not a zero sum game. If I win something, it doesn't mean someone else has to lose something. And so I had to really cultivate that and learn that by trial and error. But that's the second principle. Um, you want me to keep riffing on the last yeah. two? All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. And the third one is, is empathetic, which is um, looking for commonalities between people, not differences. So like you're, you're pra you're practicing in Trumpville. You might not share all those values, but that doesn't mean there's not common ground between your surroundings or your environment. And it's trying to seek out common ground, um, approaching everyone as 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 an equal, but really learning about other people and trying to ask questions and listen and not just assume. And so, uh, being collaborative. Uh, finding commonalities, not differences, developing a natural curiosity about others, trying to understand what makes people tick. You have to do that as a coach. Yes. You know, you have to be very empathetic of what people are going through and how to how to attract talent, persuade talent to come over or to understand what, you know, hey, this kid's talented, but something's blocking him. How do I get in his head or her head or understand it? And so empathetic is the third principle. And then the last one is soulful, which is really uh, there's two two aspects to that. The first is um, trying to hunt out new skills, you know, skill hunting, uh, keep learning and developing new passions to create a life defined by uh, experience and proficiency. Um, that's one part. And then the second part, more philanthropic part is about being an inspiration to other people. So uh, trying to, whatever you do, if you're a tennis coach or a mental health provider or uh, a financial advisor, what can you do with the skills that you have uh, to make the world a little bit better of, of a place? And how do you contribute? How do you give back? And when you, you know, those, it's the boomerang effect. Soulfulness is a, has a boomerang effect of, you know, when you give, you get. And you're, you're helping yourself by helping other people. Uh, because you're going to have a more meaningful, fulfilling life. You're going to inspire other people to maybe do the same. Uh, and you're going to have a lot more uh, to talk about. And and when you when you break through that, uh, magical things happen. So Can yeah. we go a little bit deeper on skill hunting? Because as you know, I am a coach and I feel like that's my business. That's what we do every single day. I mean, we're, we're crafting lesson plans and we're, you know, do we're choosing destinations where we want to go and then looking at the skills that we need to, de to develop, to get there. What's your, your process as an entrepreneur in terms of 
attacking new skills? Like, for example, what are you working on right now? And just what does that look like? What are some takeaways that our audience can take around your concept of skill hunting? Yeah, I mean, I, I can talk about it from a, from kind of twofold. One is, you know, in, in certain ways, I've built a successful business. I've been in marketing for 20 something years. I've certainly put in my Gladwell 10,000 hours. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I've mastered the craft. You know, I, I can work with any client, solve the problem, help build, help them with branding. Um, but the industry, like any business, it's constantly evolving and constantly changing. And so now I'm, you know, performance marketing and measuring the success of work. That's a really important piece to marketing that exists today that, you know, came about in the last, you know, several years. And so I'm really diving into learning that skill and what does it mean to measure the work and how does performance marketing work? And so there's always something in any industry uh, to learn. And that doesn't mean I'm going to be the most proficient uh, performance marketing person in the world because I'm much more about the creative, big brand building, big idea piece, the the upper funnel part of marketing. But I got to learn the lower fun funnel part of marketing so that I can sell that service in the business. So I'm, I'm learning that skill now. And the thing about any skill, whether it's business or personal, you have to go through the suck to get to the other side because you're going to be shitty. You're going to be the dumbest person in the room. You're not going to know it, but you have to get power through that and get over your ego to get to the other side. And that's the same thing with any personal skill that you might learn. Like um, every every two years, I, I do a two-year skill hunt where I try to learn something that I, I've always wanted to learn about, whether it's like photography or cooking or chess, you know, whatever it is, it, it doesn't have to become your number one hobby or your most important thing, but however old you are, whatever age, having a list of like, like tennis, you know, maybe I've never, I've never been a decent tennis player. <laughs> although, although I know I love it because you know, it's a great sport. You can kind of play at any age. And, uh, you, you know, you, you, I used to run marathons. I can't do that anymore. Right. So tennis is something that's like, you can learn anytime. I got I, your back, Jason. I told yeah. you, I got, I got your back, man. So like <laughs> that, that might be my next thing that I I'll, 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 you know, focus on, but it's, it's not trying to do 10 things at once. It's like taking a two year period. So in any free time, if I pick up tennis next um, on the weekend, you know, I try to play a couple times a week in a two year period, maybe tennis sticks with me, maybe it, it goes away. Um, but then I'll be on to the next thing and, and maybe still play tennis or maybe just every once in a while, if I'm on vacation, I'll play it, but it's challenging yourself to um, don't, don't rest on the skills you have. Always try to try to learn something new. What's one thing that Jason Harris must always kind of focus on and work on a little bit? Uh, music's my, my big passion, whether it's going to see music. Um, I played in bands for years. That's, that's something I always come back to is discovering new music, 
uh, playing it. Some form of music has to going to concerts. It always has to be like a foundational uh, part of who I am. So that'll like that that'll never change. If you could go back to your 21 year old self and provide career advice, what would that look like? Mm. I would say, you know, you're you're in charge of your own story, not your parents, not your teachers, not your mentors, not your friends. Whatever you your job is to find out who you are, what your story is going to be, what you want to do for a career. It's not anyone else's job. I think a lot of people fall into uh, my dad was a lawyer, so I guess I'll go down that path. Or my parents want me to pursue this because they think it's smart. Or my friend thinks my friend's doing this thing. That seems cool. So I'll, I'll go ahead and do that as well. Your job in your early 20s, because you have a lot of time, is to really find out what you want, what your passion, what your interest is. It can even be uh, you're into, um, I don't know, something that you're really into art so how do you take your passion and figure out how to make money around it or a career out of it because whatever interest you have there is a way uh to turn that into some type of career um doesn't mean you're a good artist and you can sell your art it might mean you love art so you're gonna work for art.com or you know you'll work at uh, a museum or whatever it might be there's always a way to figure out a career path based on what you're into because um having a career to make money you, you the money's money's the result it shouldn't be the the reason you you start to do a career or do something because you're going to have a life of misery doing something you're not into uh that's for damn sure and maybe if you want to make you become an art dealer or you become uh you work at Sotheby's auctioning art, whatever it might be, there's a way to to create a career and money path for whatever your interest is. But you're going to be way more successful leaning into your interest than um, you know pushing against it. But in your 20s, you might not even know what the hell that is. So your job, <laughs> your job, my career advice for them is: don't listen to anyone else. You got to listen to yourself and figure out what motivates you, what your passion is. I mean, that's not like groundbreaking advice that not people haven't heard before, but um, that that's what I would tell people. So my motto is if it's not fun, don't do it. But my question is- Well, how many things in your life don't you do then? <laughs> A lot. You're, and you, I think it's don't, okay. Don't, don't miss that colonoscopy because you because <laughs> it's not fun, you know? <laughs> that's, that's true. Uh, what would you what would you suggest in terms of how can those young hustlers test those passions in the marketplace because the the marketplace is going to pay you right so it's one thing to be passionate about things but you've got to attach that passion to a vehicle so restate it Restate how, do, how, do, yeah. how does one go about matching their passion in a way where they can be compensated for it? 
Well, I think in the tw- in their twenties. So, like, do they have a? They know what their passion is. Yes. Um, give me an example, and I'll tell you how. Just love teaching tennis to young kids. Are they a good tennis player? Yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent. All right, so. <laughs> You 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 turn that into um, you know could start as a a side hustle on the weekends, and it or it could because you know when you're starting out, depending on your financial circumstances, or if you want to build a tennis business, maybe you can't get a job at a country club. Maybe there's no openings. You know, maybe you have to do that. You got to work at a bar or a bookstore, or you know you got to have your 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 day job start that side hustle and see how how it does and how you can turn that into you know i've you know in five years wow the side hustles turned into i've hired some people i'm i'm really good at this i've created a method i've created like this my method for getting good tennis players is a five-week program and this is what it's called and i create a methodology around it that's repeatable and i can train people on it and wow, I can actually turn this thing into a business. So I would, I would, you don't have to just like go broke and start something. You can, <laughs> you can know that that's where you want to end up, but do it on the side until it becomes real. Yeah, no, I think that's that, what I would say. That's, that's great advice. And it reminds me of what Mark Cuban says is like, don't follow your passion, follow your effort. You know, so it's important to know what we love to do, but then you got to put some hustle and grind behind that. Right. And, and test it out there in the marketplace and see what sticks and just iterate from there. And like you said, you may get lucky in developing your own methodology and then you're really on your way, you know, to making some things happen. And it takes time, right? Absolutely. Like nothing, nothing, nothing starts overnight. It, it takes time and commitment. Um, and you might even try it and be like, yeah, actually, I don't like doing this. Uh, you know, that's 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 sometimes how it goes, too. So since we're on this tennis theme, you know, we're entering the, the fifth set of our conversation. So I have a few rapid fire questions for you. You ready? Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> Favorite movie? Blade Runner. Nice. Worst job you ever had? I was a telemarketer. Oof. That's rough. It was, it was, I was uh, <laughs> trying to get people to renew their magazine subscriptions. Oh my God. It was, Favorite it was, quote? Uh, well, I, de- I definitely have the Oscar Wilde quote, uh, but I would say um, there's, um, there's, no, there's no growth and comfort is my favorite. Yes, and that's, and that's really, in the book. That's in the book. And that's really about um, if you're super comfortable and you're stagnant, you're doing something wrong. You got to always make yourself uncomfortable. Favorite word? Resilience. Yes, I'm with you on that. I'm 100% with you on that. Favorite animal? Uh, Obviously a dog. (laughs) I I love dogs. If you could live anywhere you want other than NYC. Uh, Hawaii. I love what part? Hawaii. 
Uh, I mean, I really like Maui. Uh, I love Hawaii. But, you know, then I'd be so far away from my friends and family, so I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. That's a, that's a, it's what, a hike. What's yours? That's a, that's a good question. You don't have the answer to your rapid fire questions? That's a good question. It was, this show's not about me. You know that. My default answer would be the LA, LA area, somewhere, somewhere in LA. Why? Yeah. Like Santa Barbara, something like that. Why? It's, it's beautiful. I love California in general. There's the vibe, a little bit more laid back. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, the, the weather's great. It's a big tennis state, obviously. Yeah, um, you could do well there. This is going to be a tough one for you. Favorite song? Oh, God. <laughs> that is so hard. Favorite song? I I, every time I hear David, David Bowie, I think of you. Like every morning in the gym on my playlist. I mean, I guess, I'll, <laughs> I mean, I'd say, I guess Rebel Rebel is my favorite song. All right. Where can people find you online? Uh, I'm on Instagram at Jason underscore Harris. The soulfulart.com has more about the book and my, you know, beliefs. And there's a bunch of content on there um yeah that's pretty much it and then mechanism of course is uh you can find more about the company but it's mechanism with a k not with a ch m-e-k-a-n-i-s-m i love that um any just parting words of wisdom for the peeps um well give me your what's your what's your overall theme peak performance and leadership yeah. Okay. Uh, so I think, I think peak, peak performance and leadership really comes down to, uh, finding, finding your passion and who you are and, and being your original self and following that gut instinct. And, and that's how you get to peak performance. Jason, you're the man. It's always so much fun to be with you. Uh, you know, what I love about you the most is your character and your soulfulness. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, it's real. I mean, I've, I've seen it from the beginning. You're so generous um, and you're a practitioner, like I said. I mean, you're doing the work. Um, and I can't wait to get together. We've got to get to New York. Let's do it. Really soon and, uh, and watch some tennis in Flushing Meadow. All right, I'm down. <laughs> All right, Jason, thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, Hope you enjoyed listening to Rene Vidal sharing stories of peak performance. Remember to listen, watch, subscribe, and review anywhere you get podcasts. Keep dominating on and off the court. <laughs>